Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand from TCO Performance Center in Egan, where the Vikings are getting ready for Monday night uh, against Philadelphia in Philadelphia, against an Eagles team that just uh, survived barely against the Detroit Lions, 38-35. to We will preview Monday night's game. We will talk about some of the more encouraging uh, signs that the Vikings can take from week one and carry through into this season. Um, but Ben, you and I were talking before the podcast. I think one good place to start is keeping, trying to keep in context this win against Green Bay. Because when we kind of tossed around ideas beforehand, you said, well, it's, it's hard to find a loss on the schedule. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. the, that's the joke right now, right? Like they dismantle Green Bay so handedly. It's like, Oh boy, they're great now, right? Yeah, I mean that is always. It's very easy to overreact to week one. It's very easy to have a win against that particular team be uh, magnified to a great degree. I will say, no, and we talked about it. I think Sunday, no Vikings team has ever held Aaron Rodgers to less than ten points. So the fact that they did that, even though Rodgers has new receivers and was missing both of his tackles, I think it's still fairly significant because Rodgers had plenty of games where he was in the same situation last year and they were still able to produce without Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, or Elton Jenkins. That said, there are still going to be things that I think the Vikings have to figure out. Uh, you know, Not everything was perfect in that game. You, you saw some times where interior pressure still got to Kirk Cousins. Pressure numbers were still fairly high for Cousins, and I think that's one of those things they're going to have to continue to work on you're also going to have teams come up with different ways to try to take Justin Jefferson away. I don't think it's going to be that easy for Jefferson every single week. So trying to keep this in some context is certainly, I think, what the Vikings have been working on since we saw them last on saw them last on person, last in person on Sunday, and last uh, on Zoom on Monday. So uh, a lot of good things from that win, but yeah, it's it's one, and there's uh, 16 of them to go. Yeah, Mike, are you leading the Super Bowl parade already, or is there a little more, a little more uh, grounded than that? Yeah, we obviously anytime you know a team plays, I, they played really well. I think the the thing that was probably most impressive to me, and I think you guys wrote about it, was how crisp they were. Like the, the mistakes were pretty minimal in terms of penalties or dumb things. Like they seemed like a team that was ready to play, and I wasn't. We were just weren't. I wasn't sure if that would be the case, just because it's new schemes, it's new everything. Like, didn't seem like there was a lot of blown assignments or, or penalties or anything like that. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there's some. I'm sure that's just you know some of it gets covered up by other things that we could be talking about an entirely different game if Christian Watson catches a 75 yard touchdown on the first play of the game like that. Little things change the complexion of a game and, and ultimately shape the narrative of the game when you when you get right down to it. But at the same time, yeah, I think they have to be encouraged by a lot of what they did and what they saw. And I think, you know, keeping it in perspective. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had this as a 7-10 and 10 season coming in, and, and maybe I'm thinking a little bit differently already just because you get that one in the books and all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, it, it, they beat the team that they're, is, is their biggest rival in division is a NFC, you know, NFC contender. Um, maybe they can be that good or maybe they're at least you know more on that spectrum of you know a little bit or a little bit more above 500 yeah let's revisit our season predictions because we didn't talk about them on the podcast but we uh, put them into the newspaper at the star tribune with all of our other colleagues and mike you were actually the most pessimistic one at seven and ten ben what did, did you have them at ten and seven i had ten and seven yes 
Uh, I had ten and seven as well. I mean, I seven losses seems like seems just wait. Like the making of a taco bet. I was just thinking about that. I'm kind of glad we didn't make a preseason taco bet. I suppose we're too late for that now, huh? Well, I mean, the Gophers are. It's usually been Gophers and Vikings. Yeah. and Gophers yeah. are two and zero now. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing. I mean, Vikings are one and zero, but you would have. You would have expected that with the Gophers. You'd expect the Gophers to be two and zero at this point for sure. Um, Vikings, maybe you know, it was probably kind of a coin flip game. So you guys have that one in the bank if you want to. We, I mean, we can just make a talk about you guys. I still haven't been paid for the twenty twenty one talk about. I was so going to say it's, it's fine. I'm not bitter. It's fine. <laughs> we have outstanding ones. You do have outstanding um, taco bets. Why were you so? And then that's not to say they still couldn't go seven and ten the way NFL seasons go. But yeah, what? Why did you make that prediction? And why? Um, why would you yeah revisit it now? I think uh, I had two two big reasons. One was I don't believe in the depth of this team, and I think that still can be tested. I think everybody has. I think a lot of us who wrote those predictions had kind of the same reasoning um, as to what we how we thought the season would go. I think everybody who looks at this team can be fairly optimistic about the top end talent, right? Like we've written about it a lot. You guys have written about it a lot, like. The, the best 10 or 15 players on this roster, you know, the first team on offense, the first team on defense is by and large pretty good. Like that's that's the roster that they inherited. That's kind of been the model and it's kind of worked or it didn't work in recent years depending on how healthy they were. And it just felt like as the season went along, if they had injuries at a lot of different positions or at, at any number of positions, there would be a pretty significant drop-off. So that to me is still a potential concern because they feel like they came out of that game relatively healthy um, and, and came into that game relatively healthy. So what happens by week five if they've got, you know, one, two, three, you know, significant injuries or, you know, long-term or two key players? I'd, I'd like to see that. The other reason I was pessimistic, though, was I didn't know what this defense would look like. I didn't think, you know, it's adjusting to a brand-new scheme, and it's a lot of players who are holdovers who are a year older and who, you know, frankly weren't very successful the last two years. So I was like, is this defense really going to be any different, any better? So that piece to me, seeing them hold Green Bay to seven points, and again, caveats being what they are, they left Green Bay left tons of points on the table by missing that deep throw, by you know not getting it when they got down on their fourth and one play. Like there's a lot of little moments in that game where you know Green Bay easily could have had 20 points in that game or something like that. But the defense played better than I thought, and I think that seeing how they played in that game makes me think the defense could be better than what I thought it was. And that's the point where I feel like maybe I have to revisit what I thought about him. I think one of the interesting things on Sunday, we talked a lot about the concerns with the corners. And certainly the first play of that game could have given credence to that theory if Christian Watson comes down with that ball. But their pass rush was good enough, and I think they did a strong enough job doing one of the things that this defense is designed to do, keeping safeties deep, taking away the shots over the top, that you didn't really see the corners get tested all that much. I mean, Rodgers, for a lot of the first couple of quarters of that game, was just not throwing to his receivers. It was a lot of stuff to running backs, a lot of stuff to Robert Tunyon, I think on the one drive where they got things going a little bit. Um, but you didn't see the corners really get put under the spotlight all that much in one of the big questions is, is that sustainable? It, it, is this scheme going to be one that takes some of the load off corners and keeps them from getting exposed downfield? Or was just just kind of a one-week thing and the fact that you have a quarterback on the other side that very clearly was annoyed with all <laughs> of his young receivers and decided yeah. to freeze them out of the offense? Uh, you know, Maybe others would handle that differently. So uh, worth keeping in mind, 
as far as what happens with those corners. But uh, at least for week one, they did not get tested in the in the way that I kind of thought they would. Yeah, I'm still worried about the corners. I don't know about you, Andrew, but you just look at him. I thought Patrick Peterson had a bad game, and his pro football focus grade reflected that. Like, even though they weren't tested a ton, like he got burned on that play. He got hit with another. It was like a 25 or 30 yard completion where he again kind of jumped up and thought it was going to be a short play, and instead it was a pretty easy completion over the top. So his his you know whatever level of decline he's on this year is something to watch for me going forward. Whether it's gradual like a lot of veterans a lot of very talented veterans or if or if it's going to be more precipitous that's going to be a problem for them yeah it was hard to take too much just for me personally away from from the corners in that game um but i think we did see a couple times where there were some coverage sacks of rogers just holding on to yep. it a little bit and even some times where he didn't have that extra second to hold on to it because the pass rush from zadarius and daniel was was there speaking of though keeping this win in you know week one win in into some context in terms of keeping in in context around the the Vikings Packers rivalry right we have to a little bit because Green Bay this is the first game of Rodgers trying to figure out what he's got it seems on offense or even LaFleur for that matter trying to figure out what they have when he walks away lamenting how little they gave the ball to Aaron Jones after that game Um, so I guess Ben how much was it the defense standing out versus Green Bay's offense just kind of shooting itself in the foot I mean probably both I mean as Mike pointed out if Christian Watson catches that ball and they don't get stopped on the fourth and one which was both a great play by Harrison Smith on third down a nice play by Zedaria Smith on fourth down and and probably kind of a head scratcher of a call on that fourth down looked like that was probably an RPO I mean at least the way that the because the receivers all ran routes and then the uh offensive line treated it like it was a running play so I Rodgers I think had the option there to, to keep it and maybe you pull it and throw it himself or I think he said something even that, to that yeah. effect after the game that he should have made a different decision there. yep yeah it looked like he had an option there but the call still seemed to me like if, if you have AJ Dillon just line up and go heavy jumbo set and give it to him and see what happens I, that would be, I think, probably how I would have gone about it. But, yeah, so that could have been a lot different if they hit on those plays. And then you're talking about a close game in the fourth quarter, and then who knows what happens. But, um, yeah, overall, I think it was the Packers trying to figure some things out to some degree. But I, the Vikings also did not give them the types of opportunities to get back in it that I thought they would. I, I thought their pass rush took away a lot of things. I, Rogers, I think, said this to Pat McAfee the other day that some of the coverages were things they didn't expect, and that seems a little hard to believe given the fact you practice against a similar defense to this every day. Um, I, I would think you'd have a fairly decent idea that it's going to start with two high safeties and they're going to change some things around. But I, he looked to me at times like he was holding the ball because he thought he was going to get a certain look and he didn't get it. So uh, I, I think overall um, the defense did a good job of not busting coverages, not giving Rodgers easy throws for the most part. I mean, we're, you know, again, if Christian Watson catches that ball, it's a different story, I think. But, uh, yeah, overall I thought the defense was better than I expected they'd be at least week one. So with all that said, with your 10-7 and 7 prediction, revisiting that after just one game, are you still feeling like that's right on the nose, or is, is seven losses just way too many now? It's got to be 13 and 13 well, and 4, I, 17 and 0. I think I picked them to go 10-7 and 7, thinking they were going to lose this game. So 
you know, I you know, I think I'll keep it where it is, but you know, it it's uh if they if they go and win on Monday night, I guess I would say then you start to think, well, okay, the Lions week 3, that should be winnable. You traded your potentially toughest road trip, at least in terms of the environment, for a neutral site game effectively. Then you have the Bears at home and then it's down to Miami. So that schedule before the bye is fairly forgiving. I mean, the, the toughest stretch of it, we thought, were going to be these two games. So, And they could go lose Monday night, and this will change the whole story. But the fact that they got through the first one with a a 16-point victory, and if you come out and win Monday night, you should be feeling pretty good. Uh, what was, before we move on and, and preview Monday night's game and then answer some questions that we got on Twitter and via email, um, putting a bow on last week, just kind of what do you guys think was the most encouraging sign that the, the Vikings can take from that game, uh, whether it's something that they can carry over the most throughout the season, something you weren't expecting, um, something that will give them the most success throughout the year. I guess mine would be, um, I thought Kirk Cousins looking as comfortable as he did in yes. that offense. Yep. I wasn't really expecting um, because through camp, we saw a lot of ups and downs, yep. it seemed like. It seemed like we saw as many – you know, multi-interception days as we did days where he was throwing multiple touchdowns in those team periods. So I guess I was a little surprised to see him look just completely at ease, it seemed, um, running that that system, which is really good. And they still leaned on play action quite a bit, which obviously he's very comfortable doing. Um, and just the ways that they were able to get Justin Jefferson open, it wasn't just, you know, him having to go out on the outside and beat a corner one-on-one. They were scheming this guy where he had like 18 yards around him. Either way, when he was catching some of these passes. So I think, to me, it was just Kirk looking like, you know, he had been in this offense since the beginning of his of his NFL career. I guess I'll piggyback on that a little bit and say not just how comfortably he looked, but when he did face pressure, which was, you know, a, a, a probably an expected amount of pressure. Um, I thought his, and I think O'Connell even said something about this after the game or Monday, his pocket presence seemed better to me than it has been in the past. I, I'm thinking particularly of that 64-yarder to Jefferson where he kind of did that little – I mean, I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady, but it was like that little that little step up in the pocket, that little, you know, something's coming this way instead of flushing out. He just kind of takes a little step up and then throws it deep and catches catches Jefferson uh, catches Jeff, Jefferson deep over the middle. So those are just – those are just little things, little comfort things or little things that he did that I don't remember seeing him doing. And then the other thing I would mention is – Ben, what you wrote about Monday, which is how they handled into and out of the the halftime, yes. where they had been terrible, the, the you know the year before, and that had been a real like it was almost a season killer, yeah. and, which you which you adeptly wrote about. It was just like that was that was one of the you know the told stories of last season, but maybe even undertold just because of what that did to a lot of their games. I mean, if you, if you, think, if you think about, like, the Bengals game, didn't the Bengals score, like, two touchdowns in, like, the final two minutes of the first half? Or yeah, I'm, I think I'm just, so. Like, there was a lot of games like that where they just gave up. They gave up so much. And in this game, it was the opposite. They took control of the game in that span. So that's, again, I don't know if that's sustainable or a one-game thing, but that was that was encouraging to me. I think in the last four minutes of the first half, they gave up, like, 11 touchdowns, you had 11 and, touchdowns seven and seven field goals, which is more than a score per game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like the the net number of points, they, the net deficit there was like, because I, I think they had three or four touchdowns of their own. I mean, it was a net of like 60 points. So you think about that, as I wrote Monday, 
Kevin O'Connell may not be the coach of this team if they were better in that spot last year. Like, they may win enough games and Mike Zimmer keeps his job. So, yeah, the fact that they were better there I thought was a big deal. Uh, I would echo a lot of what you guys are saying about Cousins. I would also, I think, say in terms of encouraging signs, I thought they got more pass rush from different places than I expected they would. I mean, Daniel Hunter and Zanarius Smith looked awfully good, but Dalvin Tomlinson was a fairly consistent presence in the backfield, which we haven't seen that much before. I mean, he really wasn't asked to probably do that to the same degree. DJ Wanham got his typical hustle sack. I mean, that's kind of the DJ Wanham chase somebody down for five seconds. And, and I mean, it's, you know, kudos to finishing the play. You'd like to see a couple of them happen a little faster. But I think even you had some moments from Harrison Phillips where he showed a little bit of pass rush too. So I thought that group added more than I expected they would. I, I think, you know, so much of that comes down to Hunter and Smith. But the fact that they got a little bit of pressure from other places I think is important and was encouraging to see. Did they blitz much in that game? It no. didn't feel like they did to me. No, they really didn't at all, and and tried to rely on just the, the kind of front four. And as uh, yeah, as you said, Ben, they didn't just get it from Smith and Hunter, which is good for the Vikings moving forward. Because against Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, um, they're facing. I didn't know this, but Jalen Hurts led all NFL quarterbacks in rushing last year, and this year he starts the year off with 90 yards, and continues to lead all NFL quarterbacks in rushing. I feel like I, I maybe missed the boat on Jalen Hurts. I, I've never been that big of a fan i've never been that high on him but kind of seems like some of the numbers would suggest i should be yeah he's he's really kind of taken off as as an athletic um dual threat he's not the most accurate passer but it doesn't matter when he paired with the system that nick sirianni's got the former colts offensive coordinator who's running that offense over there as the head coach in philadelphia um they're running a system that really leans into using those RPOs, yeah. building screens off the backside of running plays, um, getting Hurts involved in the running game a lot. One thing that stood out to me watching back um, Philly's offense against Detroit um, was that nine out of 17 of Hurts's runs were scrambles. Mm-hmm. This guy's immediately when pressures he's felt in the pocket, feeling any kind of pressure in the pocket, he looks to bolt and is looking to run. He's not looking to throw while on the run. He's just looking to run. And Nick Sirianni was asked about just like, yeah, after the game about like how, you know, aren't you worried like your quarterback's going to get beat up, you know, running 17 times in the game and so much of it being on these improvised plays. Um, and he had basically mentioned that, you know, this is what he's good at. Like we need to lean, yeah. lean into it. So with the Vikings, it's a much different, much different threat than what they just saw in Green Bay where even Green Bay's running game um, they like it a lot, but it just it looks a lot differently. So Jalen Hurts has been really good with the, with the mobile stuff, and that's, I think, been by far his biggest asset. Then they add A.J. Brown, who goes for 10 catches and 155 yards too. So um, I think the Vikings are going to sit back more and let, let the Eagles kind of come to them. Detroit blitzed like half the game. You're going to have to make him beat you with his arm, I would think. That's how they're going to want to approach it. Yeah, it's something interesting about him, though, I think I saw he made a big jump in accuracy from 20 to 21. I think it's especially on, like, like kind of the short, intermediate passes, so they they can't just, you know, wait for him to make a mistake or throw an incompletion because he, he, I think he has the ability to, you know, make some of those decisions and, and stuff like that. So it's, 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 a pretty, it's a pretty significant task, and like you said, a much different one than, than even a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. 
Yeah, and the Eagles just ran for 216 yards. I think it was four rushing touchdowns in that win against Detroit. So we're going to find out, I guess, if this running defense, because the Packers didn't really test them all too much. No. We saw the Packers gain some yardage against the Vikings when they did lean into the run at times. Yeah, um, Mike McCarthy, I, I mean, Matt LaFleur, because <laughs> it's not Mike McCarthy, even if the play calling was suggested was, didn't really test the Vikings run defense as much as they probably should have. No, so we're going to find out if this group has turned around from last year when they ranked, I think it was 27th against the run, and they were like allowing 4.7 yards per carry. And a big, big reason why Mike Zimmer was let go uh, was in part because of that run defense. So I'm really curious to see that aspect of it on Monday night. Um, are we going to get Monday Night Kirk? Are those narrative? Is that narrative dead? Is the Monday Night Kirk narrative dead? Well, I think Monday Night Kirk is like two and seven. It's either two and seven or two and nine. I can't remember which. It's, uh, I mean, He's certainly lost a lot of games on Monday night, but he has been better, I think, in clutch spots of games. I mean, really, at the ends of games last year, he was a lot better than we've seen him ever do it before. So, yeah, we'll see. I, it's, I, it could certainly be one of those where he comes in a little too amped up. He's had a lot of success against Philly over the years, which isn't really indicative of the current iteration of the Eagles. Other than to say he has not probably gone in there and been scared of that environment and scared of that fan base, he was awfully good the last time the Vikings went there in 2018. So um, I I think he'll be up to the task, but uh, I suppose we'll get to hear him answer the Monday Night Kirk questions here in a little bit. Has, he won, his, back up. has he won his last two Monday Night games? He was he so. was winless at a certain point, right? Because yeah. that was the big narrative. I feel like he was like 0-7 or 0-8 at one point. So I don't know if he's won his last two, but he's definitely they're probably won both at Soldier he, Field. What's it? I think they're probably both at Soldier Field. Yes, those are uh, yeah. Those are I think those are at least their own. That's those are the Vikings like only Monday night road wins in like 12 years. So they Vikings in general have not fared well on Monday night. They were there Monday night last year in, in Chicago, right? Yeah, he has won his last two uh, Monday night starts both in Chicago. Definitely remember 2020 because I remember it was in November and they had just started a lockdown again, like a shelter-in-place order. And Chip Scoggins and I are driving into downtown Chicago at like 4.35 o'clock. There is no traffic. You drive up to Soldier Field and we were like the only ones coming. It was just surreal. I mean, huh. like that town at that hour of the day, you just I can drive wherever I want. It was very bizarre. So I definitely remember that one pretty well. Rollerbladed down 994. Yeah, yeah. It was just very... Very strange. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is two and nine on Monday night. He has thrown for um, two and a half thousand yards, sixteen touchdowns. <clears throat> excuse me, sixteen touchdowns to eight interceptions. Um, not great numbers, but they have come away with wins recently in Chicago. They're going to go back on the road on Monday night in Philadelphia. Um, the Eagles' defense almost gave that game away to Detroit, where they get up 38-21 the third quarter. Detroit crawls back with two fourth-quarter touchdowns, and they needed the Eagles' offense to run out the clock in a four-minute drill at the end. Um, but the Eagles' defense uh, missed, according to Pro Football Focus, 15 tackles in that game. Only Carolina missed more last week. The Eagles' defense did not look that great. Um, allowing Jared Goff and DeAndre Swift specifically in that running game to go pretty wild. So this could be a Dalvin Cook game 
maybe. If could it's be. not I mean, every game's a Justin Jefferson game. Yeah. <laughs> but this could this could end up being a game where um it looks a little bit more I I guess we're first one of thirty eight wins could be one of those. Could be a shootout, yeah. Speaking of Dalvin Cook, were you guys as surprised as I was that Dalvin Cook ends up playing seventy seven percent of that game that they led wire to wire, still ends up with twenty three touches. Basically it was like his exact numbers from Mike Zimmer's kind of running of that of that team. Yeah, I was a little surprised that they kept him in quite to that degree. Although there was an interesting stretch early in the game where they gave Alexander Madison an entire series. It almost looked a little more like a timeshare early in the game. Um, and I suppose when you felt like you needed to finish it, they kept Cook in there. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how that'll shake out because it, yeah, I still think that's one of those that is going to look different at by the end of the season in terms of the number of touches than maybe what we saw last week. I think you are going to see Dalvin Cook with a little bit less of a workload, and some of those touches may be designed to keep him a little healthier. So uh, we'll see how it all goes. But, yeah, I, I think overall my hunch would be that he ends up getting the ball a little bit less than we've seen it in the past, certainly under Mike Zimmer. It didn't seem excessive to me, so I guess that I didn't really notice it as much, but – so it wasn't like they had him like with 30 or 32 yeah. touches or something like that. So it was, it was a kind of game where, they, well, by and large, they were doing most of their damage in the air and kind of had a hard time, it seemed, at least initially, getting much going on the ground. So maybe they were kind of excited to get that going late. But, yeah, if, if, he, was, if he was on the field that much, that's definitely something to watch going forward. All right. We got a lot of questions that we can get to here to close out the podcast. Um, one good one right off the – Philly Vikings talk. Gordy wants to know, are they going to win? Are they going to win on Monday? Um, I don't know. It's a toss-up game, right? I don't know. I haven't looked at the I haven't looked at the line, but I have to imagine it's pretty close. Maybe Eagles by a couple is, is would, would feel about right to me. Um, I, I don't think they are. I just think this is a different, you know, I think we'll learn, you know, we learned a lot of positive things about them in week one. I think we might see a little bit of the the flip side of that in week two where we're like, okay, this is still an issue. That's still an issue. Philadelphia got to in this way, this way, that way. Um, so I'm going to say no, but I still think they'll feel relatively good about themselves coming out of this stretch one and one with what they have coming up after this. But no, I, I don't think they win this week. I think that's that's a little bit too they get a little bit too. We'd all be a little bit too giddy if they were two and zero, and then had Detroit, um, New Orleans, New Orleans, and uh, and and Chicago after that, because that that would start to feel like mm, maybe they go five and zero. That's the way, though. The way is that they go two and zero, big Monday night, you know, and enthusiastic, and then toe. they lose to, lose Detroit. to Detroit. That's very true, very true. But I'm, I'm going to say no to this one. I just think Philadelphia is going to test them and strangely enough maybe with maybe even be a bigger test uh, offensively than green bay was boy if they go out there and win a road primetime game on a grass field how we saw a lot of things last week that were i mean and everybody's kind of leaned into this wow kevin o'connell is not mike zimmer thing even even through yesterday when kevin o'connell apparently got slimed by nickelodeon Okay. If you guys saw this, I did not see that. Uh, Justin Jefferson was given the MVP award, like Nickelodeon's most valuable player of the week. Uh, so he got like a hat that looked like slime, but then they had a little bucket of slime, and O'Connell basically said, uh, I'll take the slime every time. Now, he also 
probably grew up with Nickelodeon like the rest of us did. I mean, he's basically my age. So uh, I grew up watching Nickelodeon. He probably did too. Um, but there are a lot of those things that's like, wow, uh, cousins presenting game balls, uh, cousins looking comfortable, throwing seven straight times after a second long run. There were a lot of things that served as reminders that this is a different era. If they are to go out and win a primetime game on the road in a tough environment, that would give a fairly large um, endorsement of this idea that this is a different thing. Will they win it? I I guess I have kind of been thinking that I would pick them to win, but I could also see this being one of those where Jalen Hurts gives them trouble and there's a few broken plays and they just can't answer quite to the degree that they would need to do it. Um, I guess I'm going, I'm going to stick with my gut and say that they win, but would not be surprised at all if I'm egregiously wrong, just like I was last week. Yeah, the only advice I think I feel strongly about giving on this game is take the over. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think so too. I, just, I think, um, you know, I, I guess I don't know the weather conditions. I just think, yeah, these offenses with Jalen Hurts and that running game and obviously Jefferson and Cook, um, I think they're going to go wild, and I think it's going to be high scoring. I just don't know, yeah, who ends up getting the stop or the final score. You got to think Jefferson's going to go in there with a little bit extra juice too, don't you? Yeah, I would I would think so. Um, Monday night against a team that passed on him. Yeah, yep, yep. The Jalen Rager revenge game. The Jalen yeah. Rager revenge game. We're going to hear about that this week. And Jefferson is looking for this kind of anointment of, you know, being the guy, the number one receiver in the NFL. So what better stage to – show off than Monday night um, and, and being that guy. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to pick him to win just because I'm just rewatching that Philadelphia game against Detroit and them almost giving that game up to a Lions team that was just not playing very well in itself. Um, yeah, I think the Vikings will do it. I'm really curious though, to see most this defense if, yeah. it, because it's just such a different challenge in Philadelphia than, uh, Green, than Aaron Rodgers sitting back there giving you time to get after him a little bit. They're not going to have much time to get after Hurts because as soon as he feels any pressure, this guy's been taking off. So, Yeah, different challenge than Green Bay or, in the words of the color commentator for Monday night, Green Bay. Green. Troy Aikman was always a big – he would always refer to as Green Bay. And to that point, Ben, I just feel like a guy like that extends drives, right? Like it's yeah. third and four and you think you've got him and then he gets a six-yard scramble. And it's, just, it's kind of demoralizing for a defense when you have a quarterback like that. So the two guys that picked them to go ten and seven are saying they win. The guy that picked them to go seven and ten is saying they lose. Yeah. So we're playing. I'm leaning into. Yes, I'm steering into the skid. If they if they win brand. this one, I will firmly jump off of seven and ten with both feet <laughs> and say. Uh, you want to just give us tacos now? I would just say, give you tacos at that point. Just and, call it break or even we just tacos. Cancel out the uh, get break it, break even on the tacos from last year. There's not a Taco John's anywhere near the Vikings facility, so no. it makes it a hard one no. to pay off. It's really, Skyway. the Skyway is open. It's one of Rosemount. I think it's the closest one I know of, and that'd be a little. We'd have to plan ahead for that. Uh, Heavy Dirty Skull wants to know what week of the season do you feel the Vikings secondary will be tested enough for us to proclaim it as a good secondary? Basically, when when are they going to see a quarterback and wide receiver group that you go, yeah, that's that's how you know if they stop that. 
This week's going to give you some of that. That was one of the narratives going into the year, though, right? I mean, you guys wrote about that a lot. Like, this quarterback lineup they're facing this year is not the murderer's row of quarterbacks that you might see in typical years that they have seen in past years. I mean, there's some good ones in there. I think I think Miami's got some good things going right now, especially when you're talking about how good Tua looked in week one and Tyreek Hill, right? But that's that's not really like the that's not really like the gold standard or what you're going to measure yourself against. So I don't know. It's probably just going to be more of a – I don't know if it's a, a – put a week on it as more as it is it's like a cumulative thing like if you see it three or four weeks then you're like okay this you know it's not going to be maybe it's not great every week but maybe we stop thinking about it as a liability yeah i guess just looking at the the schedule right now they play one prolific passing offense and that's buffalo Buffalo and uh they go to buffalo november 13th in week 10 um yeah you guys are right and miami's got some good wide receivers obviously but to a um is is you know, playing just to keep his job over there. Um, yeah, not not a whole lot. Saints, Cardinals, Commanders, the Durs. Jets. The We're going with the Durs. I like the Durs. I think uh, the Durs, short for Commanders, it's just it's a good fit <laughs> for that. Pretty good. That is pretty, that is pretty good, good for good. that I like franchise. I like <laughs> so, yeah. Um, all right, that's your answer. Your it's answer. Than the commies. I mean, we more people talking about that. The Manders. The Manders. <laughs> I like that one, too. The Commands. I don't know. Um, these are good. Evan wants to know, do we think Irv Smith will get more snaps slash targets at tight end? I figured missing camp was the reason on Sunday for Johnny Munt out-snapping him. Uh, Johnny Munt started. Irv Smith came off the bench in what was a surprise after the Vikings declared Irv Smith healthy and uh, full go for that game. Um Kevin O'Connell says it was just a game plan thing that, you know, it, it'll ebb and flow throughout the season. Uh, Irv Smith says, uh, I, going into this, we knew we were going to limit me because I didn't miss much of camp, uh, like the question referred to. And so that's how, or that's why I was getting eased into it. So it, I don't know who to believe, I guess, at this yeah. point. I'm inclined to, to think that Irv Smith not playing a whole lot in the summer led to more of his limited snap count i have to imagine like it it shouldn't be a conditioning thing right because he it was the thumb so he's able to like stay relatively in shape like i just i just wonder at this point if it was more of a like he just he didn't have enough reps to like know exactly what was going on out there versus whether he was physically ready or not and we talked about that after the injury he um tore ligaments in his thumb on August 2nd or underwent surgery on August 2nd, might've had the injury the day prior. And we spoke about that on the podcast. We talked about in press conferences of one of the things that Irv, one of the hurdles that he faces is not just physically being held out. It's yeah, he's not getting those reps in this new offense, learning it. And that was always the big thing that the Vikings have talked about and challenging Irv. And like that's been one of the biggest challenges for him as a player is grasping that tight end position where you have to know the running game and the passing games, both and know the ins and outs of all of them in kind of a linchpin position in the, in the offense. And so I think O'Connell phrased as always challenging him above the neck. You know, that's kind of how he's always phrased it with Irv Smith. And so Irv loses that stuff in August. And I do wonder if, if you're right, Mike, if that was kind of part of why um, just not having, you know, I think Irv phrased it as getting a feel for it. You know, that we, we wanted to kind of get me out there and get a feel for um, live reps in the offense. So it would make me think that, yeah, over time we're going to see gradually more and more of him because he is much more talented as a wider as a as a target for Kirk Cousins. Yeah. But um, Johnny Munt's going to give you some five yard button hooks all the way down the field until then. 
Wasn't he that didn't didn't Johnny Munt catch the opening pass of the game? Yeah, the first he pass, did. yeah. <laughs> Kirk on a boot. He's good in the boots. That was a very uh, that was a very Kubiak first call, but uh, <laughs> it, evolved, it evolved from there. Well, that second and ten when they ran the ball, I was like, oh boy, uh-huh. we're back to this. But then, yeah, they threw on like the next seven plays. Yeah, so that was different. All right, Mike. Mike has a question for you. He wants to know how do you feel about the interior O line after last weekend's performance? They had some good PFF scores, but also seemed to give up some pressures. Yeah, I thought it was a little shaky early. I think maybe I even fired off a an early angry tweet to that effect <laughs> of you know same old same old with Kenny Clark because I think he beat Bradbury to end one drive and Ingram to end another drive yep. if I'm not mistaken, but. Uh, you know, overall, I, I did feel like it was it was okay, and I think I'll take okay usually based on kind of the comparison to past years. Like I think Ingram was pretty good, um, and I think if Ingram was pretty good, then you you know if you start piecing enough of those performances together from him, and I know he's a rookie, he's brand new, so we don't know exactly what he's going to do long term or how that's going to be sustainable. But if you like Ingram you probably like four-fifths of the offensive line right now, and that's more than you could say for a lot of points in 21, 20, 19, 18. Like this, is, this is probably the best offensive line they've had since 2017, I think. And whether that's good or just okay or even a little bit less than okay is debatable, but I was relatively encouraged because it seems like they might have – two guards now and if they can hide Bradbury enough or use his strengths which is you know run blocking and getting out in space where where he's still somewhat useful and kind of keep him from getting knocked over so much maybe they're going to be okay there or maybe maybe even better than okay yeah Ben what did you think well yeah I I thought the group as a whole was better I mean early in that game you're kind of seeing some of the same issues where Kenny Clark is getting through and thinking oh boy this is going to be the same problem that we've seen for so long, especially when he was beating at Ingram a couple of times. Overall, I thought Ingram settled in. I thought um, the the group was, I mean, Christian Derrissaw I thought played well. I mean, that that's the big one to me, is if you have a left tackle that, and we talk a lot about the interior line for good reason, but how long has it been since they had a left tackle that they could kind of just forget about? I mean, Matt Khalil's rookie year, 2012. 2012. I mean, yeah, like Riley Reef was okay, but yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't like a guy where you're like locked down. It's yep. like good enough for yep. now. Yep. Yeah. You. You. Where you sort of feel like we don't even need to worry about that spot. You can put whoever you want over there, and he's not getting through. I. I mean, Reef had some had some good years, but a spot where you say we are set here for the next ten. Um, I don't think they've had that. They had the illusion of that with Khalil, and after I shouldn't even say illusion, because after year one, you would have thought, yeah, this is this is great. This guy's pro bowl, pro bowl. Yeah, 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 they were fantastic. That whole line, he had a great year, and then everybody to John Sullivan and John Sullivan's right got paid because of Adrian Peterson running for 2,097 yards. And didn't that whole line start like all 16 games that year? They or did. All close to it. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think they started all 80 combined and then I think the next year it was fairly similar to that so I mean Brandon Fusco got paid Bill Lothol got paid Jerome Felton the fullback got paid I mean they they just gave money to everybody it worked let's do group. it again yeah. and it didn't work again that's uh that's our boys yeah, uh that was, uh, that was the old way of thinking yep that now was it's certainly new. the old way of thinking 
Christian Derrissaw did have some good moments uh, in that game against some good rushers and Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. So it was pretty, pretty important for the Vikings to see him carry that training camp over into the regular season. Um, and we'll see how much they need it against an Eagles defense that looks pretty lackluster in their first outing. Um, let's get to some more questions here. We got one from Robert wants to know, what's the one thing you'll be paying close attention to in the first road game? of this season. He suggests false start penalties. So he's really getting into the nitty gritty. We're getting into the weeds here. He, he, uh, he says he's looking out for false start penalties and he points out, you guys remember this? The Vikings committed three on their first drive in Cincinnati last year. I do remember I that. I forgot about that. I remember that. And it was, you know, I think that's a good, that's a good thing to watch because they were very crisp. I don't remember there being any pre-snap penalties. in the game. Maybe there's an off, I don't remember. Maybe it was a neutral zone infraction. Did, did Hunter line up offsides one time? I can't remember. But there was one. Maybe that was a preseason game that I'm thinking of. But there was, I feel like there was something. But by and large, it was a clean game, and it was particularly clean before the snap. So, yeah, you're going a much different environment now, hostile road environment. Um, yeah, can they, can they carry that over to week two, be crisp, play you know, play with pace, play fast, but also play smart. I think that's that's the thing I will be looking for too. Uh, ben, is there anything you're looking for from their first road game of the season? I mean, I think the big one is kind of just how they handle the environment. I mean, it's it's they were on national TV last week and they looked comfortable. They're also at home, so I think that changes things a little bit. I'm curious how Cousins looks. I'm curious how kind of the the overall ability to stay kind of what Patrick Peterson likes to refer to as cruising altitude um, after a, a big win and, and you're going to have people kind of singing their praises going into Monday night and you have that stage you're going to have ESPN's crews come in here um, our old buddy Kevin Seifert is I think doing TV next door and you're probably going to have Buck and Aikman roll through here for production meetings or maybe that's probably in Philly this weekend but the whole show suggests you've arrived and they were scheduled for this game obviously at the beginning of the season but there's going to be a lot more attention on them after beating the Packers Jefferson doing what he did all of the narratives about this is new this is different I'm curious how they handle all of that and how good they are at staying kind of tone deaf to that stuff um I, that's kind of what I want to see because there's so many of these games where they would get into those spots in the Mike Zimmer era where you say, okay, this is a show me game, whether it's usually on the road. A lot of times their road games have been in prime time. And I think back to 2018, they basically had a like a litmus test game every month of that season, whether it was the Rams on Thursday night, the uh, towards the end it was the Patriots on the road, they had the Seahawks, Seahawks on a Monday night the score. following yeah, week. They barely scored in that yeah, game. Yeah, DeFilippo got fired. They had the one at Soldier Field in November. There was, I think there was another one in October that year, too. It was a, a big-time team that they couldn't beat, and they just would get into those games, and every time they would get there, you'd say, well, okay. Um, they weren't really big enough to meet the moment. So I am curious to see if that looks different, just the whole the whole vibe of the team and how they approach it if that's different under O'Connell than it was under Zimmer. I'm curious to see if the light poles are still greased up. From In the Philly? Light. Yeah, from the last time. No, I'm joking. I, I'm sure they're not still greased up, but I do remember they had to be uh, uh, greased up 
It would have been two trips ago because the last trip. Yeah, the last trip was the Linval Joseph oxygen mask game. That's right. And the Kirk Cousins <laughs> finished the damn game speech game. <laughs> Linval Joseph. Got a tattoo of that. My favorite, favorite part of that is uh, I remember a year later I did a story on that because Philly was coming here, I think. Yep. And so I sat down with Linval, and, and I was talking about the tattoo. He got a tattoo of the meme, you know, with him yep. wearing, like, the, you know, the sunglasses, mask. sunglasses with the mask on, uh, oxygen mask on. And he goes, at first, he, he goes, uh, I, I hated I hated that meme. He hated being made fun of. And um, and he goes, that, that damn oxygen mask wasn't even working. And everyone's like, look at the fat guy. He needs oxygen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess this meme of him with the oxygen mask on, there was no oxygen flowing out of it. Um Anyway, let's get to a couple more questions, and then we can wrap it up here. Um, Drew wants to know, what do we make of a Caleb Evans being the number three corner over Andrew Booth? Um, that's actually not the case. He only came in because Andrew Booth was out because of a quad injury. Yeah. He suffered on the second snap on special teams. So Booth, to my assumption, would have been the first corner in off the bench on the outside. Um, and – He's referencing Evans had to come in to replace Cameron Dantzler, who had cramps in that Packers game. Drew also wants to know, how do we see Lewis Seen fitting into the secondary? Um, Lewis Seen is expected to make his debut this weekend. He's returning to practice this week. Had a knee injury that he had suffered against the Niners, um, aggravated it of the week of practices before the Packers game. Uh, he's not going to start because Cam Bynum uh, did pretty well in his, I think it would have been his third career start on Sunday against Green Bay. Um, Ben, just from what we've seen in practices and heard from coaches and stuff, how do you see Lewis seen fitting in? I think if you're going to see him early, it will be in some kind of a sub package. If they have something for him to do, I don't think they are in any hurry to make him the starting safety. I think he's going to have to either go earn that or somebody's going to have to get hurt for him to probably play more often. I, I think they've been happy enough with Cam Bynum and we haven't seen Lewis seen, get a ton of run with the ones in preseason games. So it they, they don't seem to be in any hurry to anoint him as the guy. And I think they're going to find sub packages to use him in. But I think for now, it'll be in kind of a sparing debut, probably some special team stuff as well. But I don't think you're going to see them just kind of go and, and put him in for 55, 60 snaps right off the bat. As good as Bynum has looked, isn't your ideal world if you're them, though, like eventually Scene takes this and runs with yeah. it and Bynum becomes kind of your kind of Swiss Army knife where you can kind of put him in as a slot corner or something like that. Like he's he was a corner in college. He's he's a smart player that, that he kind of becomes this kind of like he, – he fits into a lot of different sub packages yeah. or can even, you know, spell a guy for a series and you can trust him. Yeah, I would assume you've got to hope that Scene is a major contributor by year's end just to start getting that experience and – um, presumably from a starting role. And Harrison Smith, 33. Um, yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, maybe maybe your two safeties long-term end up being more of a Cam Bynum and, and Lewis Seen as opposed to Harrison Smith and Lewis Seen. Still looked awfully good on Sunday, though. I will say that about Harrison Smith. Yes, he Smith. did. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, well, we will talk to you next from Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia where the Vikings take on the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. Until then, please check out startribune.com. And do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less. <laughs>